you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 through 45. It reads like this. Then come a Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and said unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then said he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me. And he went a little further, and fell on his face, and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh unto his disciples, and findeth them asleep. Somebody said asleep. And said unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went again the second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup may not pass away from me except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words, Then he cometh to his disciples and said to them, Sleep on now, and take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And I want to uh, quickly draw your attention also to 2 Timothy 2 and 15. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Tonight... I promise not to keep you long, and I feel God has stirred me with a simple thought, simple title. Simply keep practicing. Keep practicing. If you'd put your Bibles down, if you would just take a moment. I don't care if this just turns into an altar call, but can we just ask God for his will tonight? Lord, I thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you for all things that you've given, Lord, every blessing you bestowed, God. Everything you've taken away, Lord, I bless your name through it all, Jesus. I pray tonight, God, that you'd have your way in us, Lord. Have your way in me as a, as a voice, Lord, for your word and your will and your way, God. I pray that we would be under your anointing, God. Let us be in your divine will tonight, Jesus. Have your way in every extension of this church, we pray as well. Keep them safe, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just tell them, keep practicing. You may be seated. There's a scientific term that the world uses to define super talented people. 
I want to ask a simple question tonight. How many of you know somebody that is just over-the-top talented? It's without explanation that they are just good at whatever it is they do. It makes some people sick. It makes you wonder, how in the world did you get blessed with so much, and I've been cursed? And you will begin to ask yourself, and maybe some of them can sell. They can sell a screen door to a, a submarine captain. Maybe they can uh, teach, and it seems effortless, or when they pray, miracles happen, and they don't even seem to try. Or maybe they sing, and the Lord's given the ability to sing everything. I get jealous of that, because I can't. <laughs> but the Lord is blessed. And some might say with an instrument, it seems so effortless. They're talented. They're virtuosos. They are an exception to the rule. They are what the world calls an outlier. The scientific community will call these people outliers. People like Mozart or Beethoven or Rockefeller or maybe today's Elon Musk or recently Steve Jobs. You'll see these guys that seem where everything falls into their hands. They seem super rich and talented and famous and the world just seems to turn for them like it does no one else's. Anybody know anyone like that? Amen. Even in our churches, we might look at people like a G.A. Mangan and Say, how does that man go down to Louisiana with a church of, of nobody and grow it to 1,100 and pass it to his son to where he triples it? Or maybe Brother David Bernard, our, our bishop of the UPC, and if you ever follow him, he reads a book every day. I don't know how. It seems that way. Maybe not every day. But it sure seems that that man reads more than I've ever spoke. And he just and books are effort, effortlessly and and he's what's called a speed reader. He'll just flip through it. You ever remember that infomercial for speed readers? <laughs> I almost bought that. Listen, I was not fast at reading. I needed time to to think about what I I, I read and and people like that will make you sick or maybe the apostles or Paul and we step back and we begin to see that and, and think that some people are so stinking talented. We've read it in Scripture where the Bible even says that when given the parable, Jesus said that one man was given five talents and one two talents and one one talent. And the parable goes on where the master went away and comes again and asks them all, what would you do with my talents? Because talent was not really a talent, it was money. We'll get into that, but I, I want to draw your attention tonight for just a few moments on practice and really what it means to be talented. I often talk with our young people. I try to dispel the myth that people are super, ooper, duper talented. I don't believe in it. I've picked up a trumpet, and the very first time I played it, nothing came out. It wasn't talent that made me just play all the scales and be in the bands and find ways to keep up. It wasn't talent. It was practice. It wasn't talent that gave me the ability to even speak in front of crowds. It was practice. Well, how do you practice something like that? You know how? 18 years in youth ministry. I've had twice a week, Sundays and Wednesdays, for the past almost 18 years to talk publicly and to get my thoughts out with or without notes. And the youth said, Amen. Sometimes I chase rabbits. And we'll go down some rabbit holes together just because I feel like, you know what, I need to spend a moment. But 
it wasn't really talent. Now, anointing is a different thing. I'm not, I'm not bashing on anointing. I believe God can anoint us, and you can grow in your anointing. But I, I don't want us to leave here thinking that talent is where it's at. Well, when I talk to this guy, he seems like he's got it all together. He's so wise. Okay, maybe he grew in wisdom, but he wasn't just born wise. It takes practice. It takes a life dedicated to being something more for God. Uh, we usually find ways in our own lives to discount our talent. Let me ask you a question, and you might not participate, but I imagine that we all will. How many of you consider yourself talented? See, I can't hardly tell. How many of you don't consider yourself talented? Great, this line's for you. We usually find ways to discount the talents that we have. We usually find ways to discount the talents that we have. I said we usually find ways to discount the talents that we have. And talent might not be real, but you have been given something special, and it's up to you just like it's up to me to develop who I have been given. I know that I'm left-handed. I don't know what that means unless you're a mechanic. Maybe you can get around certain parts of the engines better. My parents are, are my whole family's right-handed. They all need glasses. I, I don't need glasses. I, I find some things very peculiar about my family. Did what are they mine? <laughs> because we were so different growing up, I felt like I again thought on the other side of my brain, and I probably did. But it was very much so that to, to develop who I was, it wasn't just happenstance. It took practice. I might never get back to it, so I want to make sure that I say it up front. Practice spiritually means prayer. And in order for our lives to be successful, there has to be a life built around prayer. And in the moments when summer happens or when winter happens and you get the highs and the lows and the dog days or whatever the case might be and you find yourself in seasons, you have to keep practicing. You have to keep praying. I've got to make sure that I keep praying. I can't let uh, uh, upsetness stop me from going to the throne of God. Can't let bitterness or, or anger or strife or anything keep me from him. And that is the trick of the enemy. It's that I would not have uh, a relationship with God. Oftentimes we'll say, I'm a one-talent person. We discredit what God's given us. And, and again, it, it, talents in the Bible never meant gifting. It always meant money. But uh, th there seems to be a limit that we put on God and ourselves. The Bible says that everyone has that has the Holy Ghost has a gift from God. Have you all heard that? We've went into gifts from God, and we've, we've talked about it. I know I'm more of a, a teacher than a preacher sometimes, so excuse me if it's more teaching tonight than preaching. I hope you're okay with that. All right. I like those Baptist nods. It just lets me know we're still okay. When I start seeing this, that's when I know it's, it's not okay. But in, in, in life, we find ourselves often saying, what is my one gift? How many of you know what your spiritual gift is from God? Does anybody know? You don't have to say it out loud. We're not going to call each individual in class. But if you were to say that maybe I have a spirit of discernment or I, I have a spirit of tongues and interpretation that God's used me in or maybe he's used me to lay hands on somebody that they've been healed, how many of you know your spiritual gift that God's used you in before? 
Now I can't tell if you're participating or if that's real. Most of us have never dove deep enough in God to find out what he has for us. We stop short because we can't get past our own flesh. I feel like a failure every day. I wake up, I'll call my boss, it's 8.30, he, he'll answer and he'll sound like he either just woke up or somebody's just smacked him. And I can't ever tell, and he sounds just, he's not a morning person. I, I've learned to accept that. I'm, I'm not going to get a happy, cheery, hey bud, what's going on? I'm going I'm to get the slow, low, hello, what, what's up, what do you need? And so I will oftentimes make that a reflection on, man, I'm calling too soon in the day. There's something I've messed up. I'm trying to communicate too early, and I'll quickly dive into what I've done wrong. And I feel like spiritually, as Christians in the body of Christ, there's so many times where we will get to a place where we instantly will, will diminish what God has said. And we'll take away the promises and the gifts and we'll simply say, nope, I know I sinned today. There's no way he can use me. And we'll live not forgiving ourselves as we expect God to forgive us. The Bible clearly says, forgive and ye shall be forgiven. But how many times do we take that to ourselves? Because when you can't forgive yourself, typically you can't forgive others. I find it very, uh, I heard a, a counselor recently make a comment and it stuck with me over the past month or so when it talks about something as simple as trust. Some of us can't even trust ourselves. We can't trust the people around us. And the comment was made, when trust is removed, all that remains is suspicion. And so we will live our lives trustless and full of suspicion. I believe I've even preached it uh, from this pulpit, talking about trust and vulnerability. The only way to regain trust is to put your play, or your, yourself in a place of vulnerability with God. Allow yourself to, to, to let him hurt you. That's hard, isn't it? Because when the Bible says that, you know, he's the, the, the potter and I'm the clay and he wants to put me back on that wheel and mold me and make me and, and break me and we sing all those songs, none of us mean that just sounds good. <laughs> I, I don't want to be broken. I don't want my life to be crushed, but if I can get back to a place of trust, then I feel God can allow gifts to happen in my life. I, 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 that, that's the way I've, I've always uh, looked at my life. And so sometimes I will often ask myself, what am I in God? What is my ministry? Am I doing all that I can for him? And I wonder if you ever ask yourself, as a, as a leader in youth ministry, I will quickly ask and always ask myself, because in youth ministry, you get too old at some point. At least that's the perception, right? Y'all don't know that. That's all right. Let me tell you, as a youth pastor, it feels like there's ages of cutoff. And so I constantly ask myself, am I worth following? And I will put myself up against God sometimes or up against other ministries trying to make sure I still fit the mold to be effective and to be used of him. And so oftentimes we will question ourselves so much that we'll talk ourselves out of what God has. We'll question ourselves enough like, well, what if I go and lay hands on them when the altar call happens? What if nothing happens? I'm going to look like a joke. He's never used me before to have somebody speak in tongues when I lay hands on them. Some of us feel that way, and we won't practice. We won't try. 
We just refuse to get in a place of failure and will uh, refuse to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and to trust his word. Amen. I promise I'm not trying to step on toes. If I am, forgive me. Your pastor's coming back soon. Amen. Sometimes the question is, will the truth come out? He was flesh. He prayed a lot. He studied a lot. He practiced a lot. He failed a lot. But he tried to fulfill the scriptures. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. I often ask myself, Am I really worth being used of God? With all these questions, the answer is emphatically yes. He makes room for our humanity. When Brother Gonzalez, Bishop Gonzalez, preached that here just six months ago, what a powerful statement. Some of you need to know that it's okay that you've messed up. God will still use you. There's breath in your body. He'll still use you. No matter where you've come from, God can still use you. And through it all, I have to tell myself, yes, pastor said it right. I must decrease. It's not about me, but if I can practice, if I can be part of the team, if I can find a way to just do my part, it's not the super talented that make it with God. It's the super committed. Those that are committed to souls or to giving, to serving, to reaching this world. It's those people that God is looking to use, not the talented. Is it all right if I talk about my life for a minute? I went to a, a school called Concord High School. Up north, it was like one of, <laughs> go minute, man. <laughs> go big green. And it was one of like 17 schools in the area. And I was the second kid, but my parents made the choice with the first one where we would go to school. And they did a ton of research, and they ended up with Concord. And Concord was one of three schools in the Elkhart County City area. Not county, but the Elkhart City area. You had Elkhart Central, Elkhart Memorial, and Concord. You had two schools that were absolutely inner city. They were rough. They were tough schools. And then you had this school that looked like an elitist school. And that's where we went. 20 years ago, it was... The best school in the area, in my opinion, and we called it that whole Michiana area, 500,000 people. There's so many options, and yet we chose Concord. I'll never forget growing up in that school, I just wanted to play trumpet. And it's been a long time since I've played trumpet. If you don't know I played it, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Don't sound the same like it used to. <laughs> and so I would practice, and I would get myself to where I would try to be the best. And, and in the band, as you got into high school, there was a director named Max Jones. And Max was a phenomenal director. In fact, from the moment I was born until I hit high school, that school every year went to state finals in marching band. They were phenomenal. They had records unbelievable. There was banners everywhere that the band was where it's at, and the, the orchestra and the choir. In fact, they said statistically that one out of every two people in that high school had a class in music every year. Frankfurt schools might have 20% if you're lucky. But Concord had 50% in the music programs. It was amazing. It was phenomenal. And I'll never forget, we'd sit in that symphony band or the symphonic band and we had three bands. We had over 200 kids in just band alone. When we marched on a field, we'd march state fair. And if you've ever been down there for the band day, there's, there's people doing all sorts of formations. We had so many people, we did blocks. 
We'd go forward and backwards. You'd pass each other, and that was it. With 220, you didn't risk it. If somebody gets knocked over, bad things were about to happen. And so we would march that, and in seven days, we'd beat out bands that had practiced all summer long to be in the finals, and we'd win, beat them, not, not win the whole thing, but we would beat out the night performance and be a band that was seven days old. It was something special and spectacular, and people looking from the outside would say, wow, they are so talented. They have so many things going right for them, but I was in the band, and the band went something like this. When marching band was happening, you stood at attention. There was a lot of of, of rigorous instructions, and you had to make sure you were perfect at all times. When the band would play, the horns would pop up, and they would work on our counting, and they'd have this thing called Dr. Beat, which is kind of like the click track. It just slams in your ear, just this loudest pulsing beat, and they would put it over all the speakers so you knew exactly when four counts happened. And you better breathe, and you better play, and if we were marching in place, you'd have your feet going, and at the count of four, at the end of four, you'd raise your feet. They would stop that metronome. To make sure on the end of four, your foot went up. How dumb. We, we would stand there all summer long. There's sweat dripping all over, and, and you're just standing there, and everything's at attention, and they just deep, 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 deep. And at four, that foot better pop up. And when they say horns up, things better snap. There was precision and a desire to do the simple things right. And so we would march and we would play and, and we'd get through the year. And I remember Max would, would uh, Mr. Jones would have us in our symphonic band and there'd be 70 of us, some of the best players in the state. And, and when he'd play us, he'd lead us through these things called chorales. It's stuff that Bach wrote and, and, and Beethoven and all these old music, Ode, Ode to Joy, the slowest version you ever heard. And, and we'd begin to play it melodically and he'd literally start and stop. It was like a week of classes where he would just simply listen to us breathe. You just, it's all you'd hear the band do. And if he didn't hear that loud enough, it'd stop. Y'all don't even want to play today, do you? Put the horns up. You know, it was, it was just intense. You better be ready to play. People didn't see that. All they saw was talent. They never saw the amount of practice that went in it. And so I'll never forget going into that uh, atmosphere, it, it would always go a step further. Concord had some of the most elite trumpet players you would ever hear and know. I loved it. You know, I want to be the, the big fish in the big pond. You want to be the biggest, baddest dude you can be. And so you, you don't get there by just like showing up and saying, I'm here. You practiced, right? And so we would go into it uh, oftentimes where we would uh, uh, practice a lot. And I'd have a private instructor whose name was Jerry Nipful. This man was mean. He'd sit there with the, the music stand, and he'd click his pencil at it. And i just never forget that pencil and pen just clicking. And some of those big pens that kind of twist open, the horrible ones, the click and sound that that make will give you nightmares on a music stand. And he would yell at you constantly, nope. And he'd shut the books. He'd throw the books. We're not, we're not, no, you, you did not practice that. You did not work on that. Can I relate it to us for just a moment? There are times where we feel like if it's not God, it's people of God that will help smack us and not smack us, but spiritually get us to where we feel like, man, I'm just not doing nothing right. It's okay. Keep practicing. There's times where you might say, well, you know, I, I feel like, man, that was, this was hard. And, and, and pastors even said some of the words he preached are strong words. It's, it's very, you know, it takes a lot. And I take those words home and I have to self-reflect. 
He might not have been talking about me, but dear God, if he is, help me to practice the right way. Help me to get my life and my prayer life back to where I'm valuable again to the kingdom. I'm not in a moment to where I, I just think I'm good. They had trumpet players that would show up, and they were some that were good all by themselves. That's great, but I practiced every day. I practiced an hour a day, and then you'd have band class. And, and in fact, scientists say that to master an instrument at a professional level, you need about 10,000 hours of practice. Back to the scripture. Jesus decided to take his disciples to the garden. Then the Bible says he took three, Peter, James, and John, the sons of Zebedee. <clears throat> and he said, come with me a little bit further. And I can relate to this because we had the band. The band was good. The band was together. The band was tight. But then we'd take the trumpets, and the trumpets would even get better. And so we'd have the band. We'd have the disciples there. And then he just took the ones that were the closest to him. Come on, we're going to practice. We're going to get ready for performance because act one's about to happen. I'm about to fulfill that scripture that says he was high and lifted up and drew all men unto him. That's about to happen. The, the curtain's about to go down on act one. And I have to make sure that I'm practiced. And so he took his disciples. And he took them and said, y'all chill out here. You three, let's go. We got more work to do. And they sat. And then he said, okay, I'm going to go yonder. Great word in the Bible. I'm going yonder to pray. And so he went and prayed. And he's saying, Lord, let this cup pass me. He's just going over, over and over, trying to memorize the lines, trying to make sure that the, the, it's ready and it's right, trying to get everything he can ready. And he goes back to the trumpets. He goes back to the men. This, this is my team. This is our section. Guys, why are you sleeping? Can you not just awake for one hour? And he went back and prayed. He went back to practice, and he went back to just going over it. I've got to make sure it's about time. I've got to make sure I'm right. He went back again, and he saw him sleep in the Bible. According to Matthew, he didn't even wake him. He just went back again a third time, and he comes back. And then he says, you know what? Sleep on. Sleep on. It's over. The part that I needed you for, the practice, that prayer life that I needed you for, that intercessory time, that growth time, that, that time where you were working on yourself so we could use you when the time counted. That time is over, so sleep on. 10,000 hours, right? That's what makes you a pro. Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples. You know what three and a half years when you take out some downtime and sleep is? 10,000 plus hours. Even Jesus knew in order for these men to be professionals and to die out and sell out to everything I've taught them, it's going to take some practice. And it's going to be intense, so he spent three and a half years dragging them everywhere. Sometimes he'd disappear, and he'd just leave them to figure it out. There were times where the, the lead trumpet wasn't available. He sat out that measure. <laughs> Sorry if everything's a band reference. <laughs> it was so real back then, it just haunts me till today. But God is desiring that we would be ready, that we would get ourselves at a place of practice, that my mind and my heart would be ready for what he has for us. If you're not paying attention to the world, it's getting to where it gets a little bit into Revelation. Do you know that there is a scripture in Revelation that says when you read this aloud, there's a special blessing in there for you? No, because we don't touch that book. It matters 
that we read the word enough to say, okay, I better practice. I better spend the time. It sounds like Act 2 is about ready to wrap up a little bit. It's about time for encore. And I better, get my, my, I better make sure that I'm ready as this thing comes to a close, as, as I feel like my time's drawing near. Some of you are, are, are saying, and let me just speak to the whole church. Some of you are saying, man, I'm just a freshman. This is my first year in. How can you tell me that I can be as good as the rest of you? It's all right. It's all right. Practice. I want to go back to the carnal for just a moment or or talk about my life for just a second if I can. There was this kid by the name, I think his name was Trent. He had that dirty bleach blonde hair. It was 1999. That's what all the kids did and grunge look. It was horrible. And we were there, and he was a freshman, and I believe he sat last chair that year. And I remember at a certain point, Scott Spradling, our, our trumpet director, because they had director upon director, just like sometimes we have minister after minister. It feels like what are all these layers and levels is to keep the band together. It's to keep the, the proficiency sometimes. It's to help give that encouraging word. And, and he brought us seniors to the side. And he said, well, if you guys want to have a chance this year at going anywhere, you're going to have to focus on your weakest link. You're going to have to help some of these kids that can't march. And this Trent kid didn't know his left foot from his right foot. And when that doctor beat would start going, those four clicks would happen, it's like, what are you doing? You're not even on a beat. Forget the beat. You're just out there. And so I had to work with this kid every day. Every day it finally clicked on us. If we're going to be anything, this kid's got a marching step. And so I told him on day one, listen, bro, if you can't play, that's all right. Don't play. But you got to look the part. If you can't play all the way, that's fine. We'll work on that. We'll work on some of the details of what it takes to, to make sure that you're exactly what everybody needs. If, if some things don't act right, that's fine. But we're going to help you to be a part of the band. Spiritually, it might work a little bit different. We'll work on the inside before we ever care about the outside. And sometimes the seniors will help with Bible studies and with Path of Life, and they'll help us get our minds right, and, and, and they'll spend that time just saying, okay, Trent, we're going we're gonna to do this again, man. Go ahead, John, hit the beat. And so the four beats would happen, and there would go Trent. I'm like, no, no, no. And so I'd stand behind him. I'd tap on his shoulders. We're going to work on this. We're going to work on this all night. And his brain finally started clicking. I better get this, or I'm not going to go home. And so I would work with him and work with him and work with him. By the end of the year, they had some, end of the marching season, they had a few awards, and there was an esprit de corps, which meant you're the spirit of the band, and, and most improved and most valuable player, and all these different things, and there was Trent. People counted him out. People thought he's no good, he needs to quit before he costs us something serious. And there's Scott Spradling saying, okay, and trumpets, most improved. Trent, come up here, man, come get your award. See, some of us, I'm telling you, it it was a powerful statement you all made a minute ago when I said, how many of you don't know or how many of you know your gifting? And about 10 hands went up out of about the 100 that are here. And it quickly let me realize either you don't want to answer me or maybe there is something that separates us. But some of us have quit trying because of fear of failure. Some of us are hoping to sit on a back pew. You've been hurt. You've had things happen to where it doesn't feel right. Yeah, we we all have. It's okay. 
It's time to get trust back. It's time to remove suspicion and allow yourself to be a touch vulnerable. It's time to let yourself get back to practice. I'll never forget what practice did for me in my life. It was marching band. I think it was, or not marching, we were in jazz band. It was my sophomore year, and there was a time where I got to play, and we all did these little 12-bar blues at a certain point, and, and uh, it came to me, and it was the first time they'd ever got to hear me kind of solo on a blue and uh, a blues scale or whatever and spend some time soloing in front of the, both jazz bands all combined together, and I could hold my own. You know why? Talent. No, I'm kidding. Because four times a week, I'd play at church. You see, they couldn't account for that stuff. They looked at me like, man, Brandon has got something going on. It's because four times a week, we'd show up early for practice, and then we'd play. And then we'd play altar call. And I'd play and play and play, and I'd practice and practice, and they never saw any of that. But I was racking up the hours. I was racking up that valuable time to where when it came time to show who I was and to, to talk to my coworkers or to reach out to somebody that I would not connect with. And they said, man, you seem like you're pretty comfortable around me. Yep, practice. I don't know what practice always looks like. Sometimes it is the prayer clause, and it better be. I spent an hour a day uh, playing. Now I try to spend an hour a day praying because my practice has to take a different form because my God changed from a trumpet more to him. And I had to change what mattered most. And now when I look at my life and I think of, man, am I able to talk to people? Yes, I work on that. Am I able to pray for people? Yes, I work on that. There have been times where I've walked into a, a, hotel, or a, a hospital room, not a hotel room, and I walked in and my buddy had just racked his head on a telephone pole in a, in a, a, a skiing accident or a, a, a snowmobile, a, a ski-doo is what I was thinking there. And He racked his head so hard it broke his jaw in half, they didn't even know at the time, but he had been lifelining four or five times. It was absolutely horrific. I walked in and I walked into this family at 30, and I didn't think I could go back and see him. And I said, hi, are, are you Devin's family? And they said, yeah. And I said, man, I'm just a coworker, but I want to pray with you guys. They stood up. One was paying for Papa John's. Wasn't the moment for everybody. But they stood, and they were polite, and they held hands. And I began to pray for Devin. I began to take the time. Practice sometimes. Practice is hard. There's sometimes you got to play in front of the band and you have to play the solo to see if you know it. So I stood there with about 30 family members all imagining it's just moments until Devin dies. He's flatlined a half dozen times and they've got tubes and stems coming out of his brain to keep swelling down and, and parts of his brain just taken off trying to make sure that he made it. And I went back there because they said, do you want to see him? His mom had come out in the middle of prayer. I said, yeah, I want to see Devin. So I walked back there. I, I don't know if you remember or not. I think we were coming home from church on a Wednesday. We were coming home from here, this, this old building, but from this church just a handful of years ago. And I drove by the hospital and I said, babe, wife, I've got to turn around. I said, I've got to go see if I can go see Devin. I've at least got to pray with the family. I heard he's not going to make it. I've got to make sure 
that I do my part. Let me tell you the backstory to that, why I'm a touchy emotional. Y'all okay? I promise five more minutes and I'll be done. Never forget when, when I was in Louisiana and there was a time in my life where I, I had the time to spend all day praying, learning about the things of God. It wasn't work. We just we focused on that. It was an internship. And I went to go pray for people at an internship, and I watched people that were, were dying, motorcycle accident. I watched them walk out two months later because I laid hands on them. I watched the first muscles move. They said that he's been in such a deep coma that nothing has moved on him. And the very first time we prayed, I watched a thumb move. And I remember thinking, God's going to raise him up. I'm going to see that. I prayed for him. I don't, I, don't, I don't profess to have every gift from God, but God's used me to heal people with my hands. It's his word. It's his anointing and all that. But I had to take that step of faith. And I had to turn in what I knew to be true and actually administer what I thought to do right because the Bible says that the laying on of hands that the sick shall recover and so I was laying hands on him and so uh, that was a few times we'd go hospital room to hospital room and pray for different people and I watched so many get healed and walk out of there and then for years later it felt like it had not happened again we would often question I would question myself what happened what changed why won't God use me to heal people is it my pride? Do I have an issue? And ultimately, it was practice. I'd gotten scared of praying for people and laying on hands. It took so much to stop at the hospital that day for Devin. So his mom walked me in and she said, I think he can hear you, honey. I've seen him nod his head a few times. And Devin knew me to be a Christian boy, but ultimately, he never knew me to know to, to pray for people out loud like that. I I'm sure it was in the last thought of his mind that I would ever show up and pray for him. And so I walked in and I see his whole head wrapped up tight. I mean, every bit of him, I can't even remember the amount of bones broken. And his mom's standing there crying and I'm just holding on to this shaking hand and I lay the other hand on Devin. Begin to pray, Jesus, Lord, I pray, give life back, God. I pray that you'd heal him. I didn't know what to pray. It's not that I didn't pray, but the words aren't there sometimes. It's that improvisation where you're just not sure what's going to come out. I don't do it much, but I know these scales and I know these notes. Well, I know the words and I know what I needed to say. And I know the name that mattered that was above all names. And I walked out of that hospital thinking if I never see him again, I've done what God asked me to do. Man, it took a lot. It takes a lot to turn a car around to tell your wife, just sit and wait. Just give me a few minutes. I can't explain it. I don't know what's going to happen. But if I don't pray for Devin now, he might not live. And it was just a couple months later, I remember I walked into that service master front entry, and there he is, he's shaky. He hasn't stood in about two months. He's lost his ability to speak and had things wired shut and things were still healing. But there he was, alive and well. And his mom said, thank you. Thank you for being what you were. It's not about being an outlier. It's not about being uber talented or having all your act together. We dress awful nice to be the mess that we are. We dress awful nice to be the wreck that we really are sometimes inside. I pray to God that even in a fancy tie, I do it just so I don't embarrass my church. But even in a fancy tie, I hope and pray that people can see more than a fancy set of clothes, but they can see a man that God has saved. And a person that wants to practice even with your life in the balance.
I want to see God move when your life needs work. And I hope that this church feels the same way. I'm going to close tonight, and I've got two more people I want to talk about. I told you I'd be done. I'm about a minute and a half. If you'd stand with me. Jesus had 12 men, and he worked on them men day and night for three and a half years. And he put the amount of hours that scientists just happen to say it takes to make professionals out of disciples. And through it all, now we have the church. And when Peter made mention and he said, even those that are afar off, that they're going to be saved and that this is for them. We're the far off and yet God still saw fit to reach to us because 12 men practiced. Times got rough, and they were the first ones to say, let's go get back on the boat. We heard Brother Dylan talk about that. They were the first ones to drop it and abandon it and say, nope, I'm putting the trumpet down. Band's over. The show's over. It's intermission. I'm stepping away. I'm going to go get something to drink. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to find ways to get a little bit of food. But Jesus said, what are you doing? And he had the angels come and, and reveal it back to those disciples to where they were to go back to what they were supposed to be doing. And they went back to practicing, and the Bible says that they tarried until they would be endued with power from on high. They took the time to practice long enough that it was worth it. There's a man by the name of Johnny. Johnny lived back at the turn of the 1900s. His father was a hard man, hard father. He was very abusive. Uh, his dad would abuse him from time to time. There was times he'd lock Johnny up for days at a time, and then there's times where he'd let him roam the neighborhood for almost the same amount of time. Day and night, he'd just let him do whatever he was back in the 1900s. Johnny had a brother that was older, and his brother was a churchgoer and a normal member of society, but Johnny's mom died from a stroke when he was 15, and he quit school just a year later. He started practicing, but he didn't practice the way we all practice. He began to practice a life of crime. He seemed to never look back. His teen years he spent in juvenile lockup. Most of his adult life he was in prison. The history books write it. He broke out multiple times and formed many gangs and was crime-ridden his entire life. He robbed banks. He stole vehicles. He murdered people in his way, including the law, and he worked himself into the distinguished title of public enemy number one. Johnny, or as you might recall, John Dillinger had three kids, multiple wives and girlfriends. He was ratted out by a friend and eventually shot outside of a Chicago theater in 1934 at the age of 31. He practiced. He was a virtuoso. thing about John Dillinger that hits so close to home is he was born and raised in Indianapolis. When they got him out of Chicago, the, the, the history books write that they escorted him all the way to the state line. They transferred him over and left him. They took him back to his hometown of Mooresville and they found a way to have a funeral and they said so many came to see him and eventually he was buried. So just a couple weeks ago, I went 
In the back of that cemetery on that second road and that small tombstone, and I began to see the famous name of John H. Dillinger, Jr. 1903 to 1934, he practiced. He had pain, life was tough. When it was all said and done, through all the bitterness, all the victimhood, all that self-loathing, it says that he was just public enemy number one. The second man I want to tell you about lived at the same time. His name was Garfield. He was born just a few years earlier. He was a black man in America. Wasn't easy being black in America at the turn of the century. He began to tell his wife, honey, I feel a call to ministry, and his wife was reluctant to follow that call. Until eventually he got hurt at work so bad that she realized the only thing left that he could probably do was be a minister. He kept practicing until that moment. History writes his story. He died a couple years after Dillinger. And I was in the cemetery and I began to look because I knew who this other guy was. And I began to look over and you can almost see that headstone from Dillinger's. You can see two men that lived in the same lifetime, buried just a couple streets away from each other, just a couple years apart. One practiced a lawless life while the other one practiced a life that was fulfilled in the law. They say that when G.T. Haywood had his whole church baptized, that 465 went down in Eagle Creek. I passed that river on the way home tonight from Indianapolis. You can't miss it. Sometimes it's amazing what, what opportunities are so close to us. And the time that God gives us to make us who he called us to be. They say that those baptism was the first time east of the Mississippi River that Jesus named baptism happened. What we just partook of this past Sunday. About 120 years later, give or take, happened just about 45 miles south of us. You know the worst part? I was able to look up where Dillinger lived. And he lived in Mooresville, a, a little small town. And I began to look and, and, and research everything about it. And I realized that right across the street was a river. He could have been baptized there. He could have changed his whole life. He was that close. And I began to back up the map that I'd looked at to realize that Dillinger was in that area across the street from the same water that just a few miles up the road baptized 465. We remember a man, there's guns named after him, there's people that go and drop pennies on his grave to say that they stop by in remembrance. There's so many stories and documentaries written about a man that really had no life worth living. And he had that opportunity just a few feet from the same waters that troubled so many that now you see this church because of what happened back in that day. And I see a man that chose to follow God 
through injury, through pain, through a wife that might not have been behind him the whole time. And I just see G.T. Haywood in my mind. Just keep practicing. Just keep practicing. We're just going to keep trying to march. Well, I'm not that good yet. That's okay. We're going to keep trying to march. I'm going to pray a little bit more. We're going to find ways. Well, I, I don't play the right notes. I don't know what to say. I, I don't know how to win others. That's okay. We're going to keep practicing. We're going to keep praying. We're going to keep reaching. We're going to be the church. Because that's what the band's all about. If you're not unified... And if you're not in synchronization, really, what do you have? I feel in this church, God has called us to unity. We've heard it time and time again, and God has called us to prayer. Whether we call prayer meetings or not, that's a time of rehearsal. But at home is a time for practice. I wonder if you would, if you just indulge me for just a moment. Maybe you'd close your eyes if you feel like you want to walk to the front or if you want to lift your hands or find a place to pray. But I wonder if you just brush off the dust on that instrument one more time. Begin to lift your voice in a way that you haven't maybe in a, in a, in a few years or just get back to that moment where you know that God can do anything and put some trust out there and put some prayer out there. God, begin to show us the gifts you have for us. God, let us believe in the miracles that we ask and pray. Won't you find a place to pray tonight as God begins to move in this place? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's it, church. Just spend a moment praying with him. Spend a moment reaching out.